did you miss us? While we ran the last month on a bi-weekly schedule, this week marks a return to the weekly episodes of the Nerd By Word. And this week's a big one as we discuss the plans for the future DC universe on the big screen. The By Word starts now. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome to episode 141 of the Nerd Byword podcast, a podcast that is near and dear to my heart as this week we are talking all things DC on the big screen. Uh, obviously, James Gunn has revealed the plans that he and Peter Safran have cooked up for the first phase of their new rebooted DC movie universe, uh, and we're going to have all the deets and reactions. But first, as always, it's time for... Chris, it feels like this has been a while. What's new? Okay, so yeah, uh, while this is a DC-heavy episode, I have to sneak in a little bit of my rabid Marvel uh, agenda. So fans of the Marvelous Triumvirate of Carol Danvers, Monica Rambeau, and Kamala Khan have been desperate for details and snippets uh, from their upcoming feature film, The Marvels. At long last, the first official poster for the film was released featuring all three characters, but was coupled with a new release date, originally scheduled for July 28th. The Marvels is now going to release on November the 10th. As hinted at in the post credit scene of the final episode of Ms. Marvel, all three women have begun switching places when they activate their powers. They must now team up in the film to figure out why. Dave, this movie has been at the top of both of our lists for quite some time. What's your reaction to all of that? I'm 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 you know fine with the poster. I don't think it does a whole lot. It's very um blah. I, I guess that's the best way to put it. The best thing that we can say about the trailer is that we get a um a look at uh Monica Rambeau's new costume, um, which I think is cool. But uh, other than that, it's really nondescript. The three main characters are really, really tiny on it. They're not really interacting on the poster, it's all very blah i guess so the poster didn't exactly excite me um i am still very very excited for this movie because it features some of my all-time favorite characters um i have you know really uh fallen in love with 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 carol danvers uh in in the comic books um having read you know a whole bunch of back issues and reading the current series that marvel's putting out and just really really enjoying uh that character and obviously I have read every uh, appearance of Miss Marvel, uh, Kamala Khan now at this point, um, and she ranks up there in, in probably my top favorite characters ever. I'm still getting to know Monica Rambeau, um, you know, trying to you know catch some back issues, and and you know I know there's a mini going on right now, I believe, which is I fantastic. Fantastic. I haven't had a chance to dip, tip, dip my toes into it yet, but I hear really good things. So I, I think I'm just like wired to really, you know, want this movie and enjoy this movie. I'm also not one of those people that felt, you know, uh, poorly towards, uh, you know, the initial Captain Marvel movie. I actually liked it a, a great deal. Um, so I know there was like a whole lot of weird, you know, break the internet criticism being thrown at it, kind of like... Uh, female Ghostbusters reboot level almost. And I, it was extremely silly to me. I really, really liked the first Captain Marvel movie as sort of set in the stage. Um, but I'm very interested to see these characters meet, interact, how they bounce off of each other. Um, 
especially considering what we've you know seen in the comic books of how these characters interact there i think there's a really good starting point for sort of a character driven fun you know superhero story there so i'm very very excited for the movie not happy uh, with the delay obviously although i understand that disney is changing strategies they're starting to stretch things out a little more try not to oversaturate the market i know they've backed off of some other disney plus shows they're stretching those out a little bit more only two are now supposed to come out this year instead of four so i understand what they're doing um but i'm just really psyched for this movie and i just hate having to wait longer for it chris yeah, I think I'm going to be patient with it. I know that some people have been critical of an oversaturation of content and being overwhelmed by having to watch so much. So maybe this will space things out for folks who feel that way. Also, the the rabid critics of uh, the CGI and the VFX, the people who, who want to be constantly critical of that, to which... First and foremost, I say it's a freaking comic book movie. But secondly, if this takes more time in this delay to maybe tweak some things and make it look a little bit better so those people can go calm down somewhere, um, have a cup of tea. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited and I'm willing to be patient because I want it to be I want it to be great. And um, I want to give my undivided attention to it. Uh, I, feel, I feel similarly, maybe a little bit better about the poster. <clears throat> I do like the parallel of all three characters, but my major criticism is that they're way too small. And, uh, I love Monica's costume. Monica is one of my all-time favorite characters. That miniseries by Eve Ewing right now, absolutely must read. Um, the art is gorgeous as well. The covers by Lucas Werneck are out of this world. Um, and now I'm really trying to go back and, uh, you know, read the old Avengers stuff here soon to, you know, when she was like the leader of the Avengers because it's obviously making references in this mini series. Um, I'm really intrigued by the Carol series. I've never been a huge fan of the character, like, uh, you know, like the, the movie I enjoyed a great deal, but like comics, Carol, I enjoyed her when she was like in the Claremont era of, of uncanny X-Men and teaming up with the X-Men. Um, and then she went super cop ish. And then I kind of lost interest um, but now kind of seeing just like screenshots of, of, of panels now with, with this, uh, this brood war that's going on and a lot of X characters featuring again in a Carol Danvers comic. Um, also it's Kelly Thompson. So I may have to check this book out. Oh, the whole run has been absolutely, you know, fantastic from day one. I actually went back and I, and I enjoyed, you know, somewhat the early stuff when, when Carol first became, captain marvel you know she took up the mantle that stuff was pretty good um and i enjoyed it but there is really something special about Ke about kelly thompson's current run it really is knocking it out of the park the book has just been you know going from strength to strength there's just something special about kelly thompson period i love when she was writing asm i love all of her other work so i'm a huge fan yes yes and and uh, and this 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 current carol series if if you want to try to jump back into the character, I think just starting with number one of the current series is a really good place. But, you know, I wanted to latch on to something you said about, you know, um, uh, oversaturation as a criticism and that people don't want to have to watch all this stuff. Like, like what a world we live in, you know, right? as, as, old, <laughs> as an old as an old nerd. Who, uh, you know, I, I well remember the times when we thought we'd never get, you know, movies featuring the Avengers or Iron Man or anybody like that. Um, you know, when, when you get Shaquille O'Neal as Steel as, as like, a, you know, one of the few DC movies that you get to lay eyeballs on. I mean, holy smokes, guys. Uh, what, what a thing to complain about. There's just too much good stuff to look at. Like, you know, 
maybe it's time that we start treating this uh, movie universe a little bit like the comic books and that you don't have to actually watch everything. And then, you know, when you see something you like, you watch it and you pick up context clues about what you've missed. And if you like what you see, you can always go back and rewatch it. But for crying out loud, don't complain that there's too much stuff. Uh, gosh, you know, it's like Star Wars. People complain that, that you know, Disney's making too much Star Wars stuff. I, I wished I would have had this much Star Wars stuff. All I had was, was Timothy Zahn. You know, like that that guy rescued my, my Star Wars fandom. And that, <laughs> when that's all you got, you know, I mean, come on, guys, simmer down. Yeah, I have a now, I guess, viral tweet that, um, you know, MCU critics like, just stop hate watching it. Like, if you don't like it, for the love of whatever God you pray to watch something else that you do enjoy. But like, so, so like they were kicking and screaming almost like an oversized head in a booster seat with baby arms and baby legs <laughs> about Modoc. And I'm like, come on. Come and little on. tiny butt cheeks. Yeah. It's freaking Modoc. Like stop. And there are people like seriously in my mentions, he's a very serious and tragic character. Okay, buddy. Okay, pat him on the head and go watch something that you do enjoy because the Patton Oswalt series is still there. It's great. It's Modoc being full Modoc. Like, get over yourself. But but more on Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania soon to come. Um, but yeah, it's just it, stop. You don't have to watch it if you're whining about having to watch too much stuff. Then don't freaking watch it. It's such a weird. It's a weird complaint such a weird thing and like i guess like the the in vogue thing now is to take pot shots at the mcu because it's the big successful franchise and there's so much like that's the thing is when you don't have something of substance yourself you take pot shots at the other people who are successful and so mcu bad is the new fad i guess yeah, yeah, and you know uh, the whole hate watching thing that extends to reading and stuff too. I mean, you and I went round and round about my uh, my distaste right now for some of the things they're doing in the current Spider Man comic books, um, and and I've just decided I'm going to take a step away from Spider Man for a while. And you know, if if uh, if I feel like I want to back up and and read it as back issues or something later on in Marvel Unlimited or something, I can. But I just yeah. don't feel like you know, hate reading month to month because there's just this underswell of stuff that I'm not enjoying. I'd rather, you know, focus my energies reading something I do enjoy. So um, I, I think that's just good advice for life, period. Don't don't hate consume media, just consume media you enjoy instead. I, I did that with several of the X books, like um, Wolverine Solo is not appealing to me. I'm, it's, it's not like it's like objectively bad. It's just like, I'm not interested in that. Uh, X-Force is not my cup of tea. I can read something else. Uh, Marauders fell off. I'm not interested in the new direction that book's going. So it's okay. You, I promise you can read something you do like. All right, Dave. Uh, is this a news story? Are you sure? Is this new? It, it it certainly feels like, you know, that scene from Watchmen, you know, where where you have Dr. Manhattan sitting on the on, on, on Mars or whatever, and he's like, you know, it's it's 2005, they're rebooting Hellboy. It's 2023, they're rebooting Hellboy. Uh, so here we are, they're rebooting Hellboy. I mean, again, after the most recent reboot failed rather uh, epically, um, they're going to try again. So this time they are making a few interesting moves that uh, that might draw fans back in after the disappointment of the most recent Hellboy reboot. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard telling where this is going to end up. Uh, so as of right now, we know that the uh, it's supposed to be called Hellboy the Crooked Man, which is actually um, uh, the name of a Hellboy comic that uh, came out back in 2008. 
so there it looks like to be an, an adaptation directly of a comic book rather than just like you know uh, from scratch broad strokes interpretation of the concept uh brian uh, taylor who directed crank uh is uh directing the new movie not exactly 100 percent sure how to feel about that um uh, most recent news, just this conversation with cast are in late stages, but they have not made any cast announcements. Um, the thing that seems to get people at least marginally excited about this particular Hellboy reboot is that uh, Mike Mignola, uh, the creator, uh, is actually uh, has written the script uh, alongside uh, one of his uh, comics collaborators, Chris Golden. So they actually... Um, they actually had like the, the the creator of the of the series uh, and the you know writer of the series come in and write the script for the movie. So we should be getting something a little bit maybe more faithful to the Hellboy comic books, at least from a writing perspective. Although again, I'm not sure um, you know how the director of Crank is necessarily going to perform visually as far as interpreting Hellboy. That's a wait and see thing. Um, so what you get here is uh, Hellboy and a rookie agent are stranded in 1950s rural Appalachia. <laughs> uh, that is, that's horrifying. Um, and there they discover a small community haunted by witches led by a local devil with a troubling connection to Hellboy's past. And that's sort of the log line for the movie. So, you know, uh, I, I, on the one hand, you know, it's nice that they actually bring the comics creators in to help you know, uh, write this one for a change. I think uh, a lot of um, a, a lot of companies would do well to, you know, at least involve the the creator, writer, artist, the comic books a, a little more than just tangentially. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I almost wish they just let let you know Guillermo del Toro finish his trilogy instead of just leaving it at Hellboy two, because as far as Hellboy movies go so far, that's still. Uh, the interpretation that's resonated with fans the most. Uh, what's your take, Chris? So I'm only peripherally aware of this character. I've seen the first movie and I remember enjoying it. I never did see the second one, even though I heard it's like the best. Um, and then I only know of the colossal, the colossal failure that was the, the David Harbor led reboot. Um, so I, I don't know a whole lot about this character. The, um, the game trailer uh, we talked about, the game awards look pretty interesting. Um, and I, I like the visual style of it. Um, so it's not a really a character I'm hugely invested in. I've not read any of the comics, um, but that setting that you described of, of the Appalachia area in the 1950s sounds a bit witchery. And uh, that's quickly becoming one of my favorite things across all media. So maybe I'll give it a look-see. I don't know. I'm just excited to see something that involves uh, witches as, you know, bad guys again, because I think that is one of the the great horror um, bad guys, if you will, creatures, whatever, that has been sidelined a lot in, in recent years and is not really being used effectively much anymore. Um, I think it's a shame. You know, you got uh, various, um, you know, things aimed at children that try to reinterpret, you know, witches as, as good and, and magic is good. But like like this whole, like... You know, evil hag thing. Uh, I, I, there's a movie um, many, many, many moons ago. I'm sure uh, some of our listeners uh, may be familiar with it, uh, based on Roald Dahl's book, The Witches. Not the most recent movie. That was a remake and not really to my liking. But the original uh, movie, uh, when I was like seven years old or eight years old, something like that, it like it like really creeped me out, dude. Like there's this whole sequence where they uh, a witch captures like a kid and locks it in a painting and the kid is slowly aging while stuck in the painting. And then one day, 
vanishes from the painting implying the kid died locked in this painting and it's just like creeped me the crap out like i I think (laughs) i think witches are just so uh creepy and underutilized when it comes to like you know uh supernatural media uh so i'd like to see something really hit big that you know makes use of that whole setup again see i love witches as protagonists and the quote-unquote good guys um and and wizards and warlocks and what have you that's why i love the witcher so much um but you know i i also like the the kind of the juxtaposition of like maybe them like witches breaking bad i if 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 you'll if you'll roll with me on that uh, analogy but like i i love just the idea of magic as a whole and i think there's so much storytelling potential and i totally agree with you like the uh, attack of the crones is always a good thing <laughs> that's what we need we need an attack of the crones i'm still waiting man all righty well folks there you have it that's nerd news stick around after a quick break we'll be back with our big talk where we're going to dissect and opine on uh, the recent dc movie universe announcements we got from uh, james gunn and peter saffron so stick around <laughs> All right, so I'm taking over here as the MC of the Byword Big Talk because it makes more sense for Dave to have the instant reaction to the DC stuff, uh, you know, given his background as the DC fanboy of the two of us. So uh, we're going to do this similar to the episodes that we had with things like Comic-Con or... um, DC fandom. So I'm going to go, I've got a bulleted list here, an itemized receipt, if you will, the things that James Gunn uh, announced in his uh, roughly six minute video, which you can find on YouTube. I'm also going to be using the uh, Collider article um, that kind of has a brief summary, organizes a little bit differently. So I'm going to go line by line and Dave's going to give his reaction. I'll play off of it. A beautiful little ping pong match, if you will. So first up, foremost, um, We have the Flash that is going to, as I suspected, as many suspected, it's going to reset the DCU. Uh, Dave, we also got a trailer during, uh, I believe, the Super Bowl. Um, What's your reaction to all of that? I am so torn on the Star Flash movie. It's not even funny. (laughs) Um, So in the the negative uh, column, we have the actor portraying Barry Allen and his rather sordid history of... There, there. You know... There, thank you for the correction. Their sordid history of law breaking and and various charges leveled against them, and and so that that kind of leaves an icky taste in my mouth. It's also very clearly still connected to this whole uh, old DC uh, EU um, and and the Zack Snyderfication of everything and seeing uh, Batfleck again is not exactly high up on my list of things that I needed. Um, I'm actually a really big fan of The Flash. Uh, not not much from the TV show. I mean, there's some some fun stuff in there, but I'm actually a fan of Flash comic books, uh, particularly the ones written by Mark Wade. Um, and so uh, it's it's weird to me that the first time we get a chance to have a Flash solo movie on the big screen, what we're getting is Flashpoint, which is to me like the most bare bones flash story i can think of since 90 percent of the story doesn't even revolve around the flash in the comic book it's more about this alternate timeline he created and and that's really what the story is about it's not really a, a flash story it's more of a dc universe story you know 
And so I'd much rather have something where he's taken on the rogues or, or, you know, something like uh, an adaptation of born to run or various, various stories uh, that are so much more interesting from a flash fans perspective than, 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 you know, freaking flashpoint. Um, so on the other hand, you know, I cannot, I cannot lie that the nostalgia of seeing Michael Keaton as Batman again kind of hit me in the face pretty hard watching that trailer. Um, and I am intrigued to see him again in that role as sort of an older Batman. I really wish they would make a Batman Beyond movie with him as an older Bruce Wayne. I think that would be, that would be incredible. Um, and I have to say that the, the what what they did with Supergirl in the trailer is also extremely interesting to me. I love the the, the design of the suit. I love the look, uh, you know, the the dark short hair and everything like that. It's a very different look from what we've seen in the comic books before. Um, but at the same time, it really it it sings on the screen. It's really really cool. And so on the one hand, I'm here for Supergirl and Batman. On the other hand, I just don't feel like this is much of a Flash movie. Now, will it reset the, the DC timeline? Probably. I mean, that's what they did in the comic books as well. That was what Flashpoint ended up doing. It led into the new 52. Um, do I necessarily think they need an in-universe reason on the big screen of why they're just starting a new continuity? I don't think so. I think I don't think the general audience particularly cares that deeply. Um, I'm just really divided on this movie. I just... On the one hand, I don't want to watch it. And on the other hand, I kind of want to watch it. So it's just, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's really weird. Uh, more on Dave's addiction to nostalgia in our nerd accommodation segment. Um, but <laughs> but um, I, I feel very similarly. Um, also, my biggest takeaway is just like, why is uh, Jesse Eisenberg's horrible hairpiece uh, making a return? <laughs> because uh, and and, like what why is it that like so many people think alternate universe like let's give them a weird moppy hairpiece like it's so bad like who is the wig person uh, on these movies because like they need to to have a talking to um i'm not calling for anybody's job but they need a serious talking to um i just don't i don't vibe with anything of Ezra, Mor- uh, Ezra Miller's portrayal in the first place, even before their legal issues, it didn't connect with me. It was, it was there. Peter was Parker there. light. It, it was, yeah, it was a bad karaoke version of Peter Parker, if you will. Exactly. It does not feel, it does not feel like Barry Allen in any way, shape or mm-hmm. form. If, if anything, it's much, much closer to something like uh, uh, a Wally West portrayal in the, in, in justice league or in justice league Unlimited, the cartoons, um, I think that's probably the closest um, that, you know, I could say their flash might be rooted in is, is that particular version of, of Wally West. But and it's just not, like, and this, it's not this, good, this not very not good. And, 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 and that's as a limited, um, you know, flash fan. I watched the first two seasons as I've chronicled before. Third season just started making me mad. So I stopped watching. See, that's what you do. MCU haters. You just stop watching if it makes you angry. But um, my favorite Flash is the Justice League and JLU Flash. Great. Perfect. Um, uh, And this feels like a bad imitation of that. Um, At the same time, I did. The nostalgia got me a little bit. Um, I didn't tinkle my pants like some people did when he said, I am Batman. Um, But it was great. Um, Also, I don't have a huge connection to Keaton. I've only seen those two movies once each. I know that's blasphemous or whatever, but... um, uh, I, I thought they were good. They're great. 
but I just haven't revisited them. I don't rewatch things normally anyway. Um, but the the Runaway Star, and I hope to God that Sasha Kaye uh, continues on in this new universe because I'm I'm immediately hooked, even from the the little bit that that we got. Um, so that's my biggest takeaway and the primary reason I'm going to watch this movie. Yeah, I think that 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 sums it up pretty well. All right. Uh, the second note is Matt Reeves, Batman Universe, and other projects like Teen Titans Go, uh, which my kids absolutely love. It's great fun to watch that and share something nerdy with them, uh, are going to be considered Else Worlds. And uh, the Matt Reeves Batman sequel is scheduled to release October 3rd, 2025. We talked about this uh, a good deal a few episodes ago with our, our news story, which feels like eons ago, Dave. But anything to add? I think the short version is that I really like the return of the Elseworlds label. I don't think we've seen much of that uh, recently, but it was a really, really big um, part of the DC line when I was younger. <laughs> and uh, so seeing Elseworlds, some really, really demented, weird stories came out of Elseworlds, but also some really, really cool stuff came out of Elseworlds. It's basically, for the Marvel fans, this is basically DC's What If, right? Yeah. Um and so using this label, I think, is, is really smart. I hope that the comic books bring it back, too. Um, obviously, there are things that they want to continue doing. Um, and their strategy is very clearly to tie everything together, right? The, the cartoons, the movies, the TV shows, the video games, everything is supposed to take place within the same continuity. But at the same token, there always needs to be room for side stories that don't tie into continuity. And so you having that... Tie yourself in knots trying to fit ex- it. Yeah, Exactly. So this this makes a space for something like Matt Reeves' Batman uh, to be able to continue with the sequel, and it also makes room to you know for them to be able to experiment a little bit just by slapping that Elseworlds label on it. I think it's a very very smart move, and I'm glad that they're doing that. Although I still don't need a Joker musical. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know. I'm a Gaga head, so I'm kind of I'm I, I've kind of went the other way on it. Just like. Um, if if Joaquin Phoenix starts singing "Born This Way," I think I'm I think I'm kind of here for it. <laughs> Jesus, Save just me. just lean into the absurdity. Uh, we did get the first still of that, by the way. Uh, but anyways, that just reminds me. The Elseworlds tag reminds me that um, to my great shame, I have not started Dark Knights of Steel yet, and that's one of my most anticipated reads uh, that I still have scheduled. I've I've read about half of it, and it is uh, it's quite good. I have to say, um, I wish they would put an Elseworlds label on it. That'd be fun. I just like that label. I always liked, oh, here's an Elseworlds story. You knew you were in for something weird, uh, you know, a cool ride that that was going to go really far afield from main continuity. I loved picking up Elseworlds books back in the day. I think I actually still have um, one of them uh, original on my shelf. Uh, It's um, Speeding Bullets um, when uh, um, Superman is actually adopted by the Waynes and becomes Batman. (laughs) It's uh, it's qu- it's quite a cool little Elseworld story. It really is. If you ever wanted a Batman that can actually fly and shoot lasers out of his eyes, there you go. <laughs> um, so next up is an animated series, uh, Creature Commandos. And the big note that I took away from this, um, first things first, uh, before I get to that, I did appreciate how honest James Gunn was about how like the continuity has been crap in the previous years and how bluntly honest he was about that. Um, But the thing that I liked about, uh, he mentioned this during his creature commando segment is he said that there's going to be voice actor and live action synergy. So I thought that was really, really cool. Dave, what do you think about creature commandos? 
yeah, to my great shame, I'm not horribly familiar with uh, with that particular you know group. I know they've popped up here and there as guest stars in some books I've read, but I never actually followed them particularly closely. I like the idea though um, in in you know concept, and I know they've you know, like pulled out some recommended reading on DC uh, Universe Infinite already. Um, and I'm so I'm probably going to dive into some of the comic books and and learn a little bit more about them before this premieres. I do like the synergy though. I like the idea that it can make an animated series and then the people who are the voice actors uh, then come in and actually play the same characters in live action. I think that is a is a very very cool idea and something we've just seen recently in Star Wars, right? With uh, Katie Sackhoff, uh, who mm-hmm. was the voice actor yes. the character and then came back for the Mandalorian and played live action. And I think there's Local there's Khan. something to that. Yeah, Local I think Khan. that's very very cool. So I'm 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 psyched for that notion. I like that a lot. Plus, I think we can all agree that this has been always a strength area for DC. Uh, their animated projects, they've always been uh, just like two steps ahead of Marvel when it comes to their animated stuff. So I'm I'm excited to see what they do with this in animation. I think this is a really cool little project. I'm shocked to hear you say that you don't know them because looking at this image of like Frankenstein's monster, Bride of Frankenstein, this looks like your type of stuff, man. Oh, oh, very much so. I think, you know, like I said, they popped up as guest appearances here and there, but I've never actually like pulled on that string. I th- and I think a function of that is just that, uh, you know, even even during the boom in the 90s when Germany started getting more comic books in, um, it was still pretty much focused on the big guns, you know, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. Um, and I don't think, I can't remember Creature Commandos ever even coming to, to you know, how do they say, my neck of the woods. So um, it, it's something that I would have to very, very specifically seek out now. But, you know, thankfully, we have these online streaming services now for comic books, and I'm definitely going to check this out. Uh, this one was a no-brainer for them. Uh, but I'm interested to see how it develops because I am not the biggest fan of Peacemaker. Uh, I thought it was a lot of like 14 year old type of dick, uh, dick jokes. And I just wasn't a fan. Uh, I may give it another chance, but Waller, a live action series, um, Viola Davis, of course, the EGOT is returning. Uh, and so this is going to be, she's going to be working with team Peacemaker. So what's your thoughts on this series, Dave? So I've not watched Peacemaker yet, um, and although I adore Viola Davis, and I think she's one of the greatest, like, ever, period, like, she's just incredible in everything she does, I think there's something about her portrayal that feels a little bit like it comes from sort of fruit of the, uh, you know, tainted fruit, right? Uh, it's just like, what, going back to that original Suicide Squad movie, which is so absolutely bad, and even worse in hindsight, when you, like, revisit clips and stuff, it's just so, so bad. Um and I know there's been some effort in, in trying to uh, rehabilitate, you know, that particular character away from that in, you know, the Suicide Squad follow-up and in the Peacemaker series. And although I'm interested in in theory um, in, a, in a series like that, I just want to make sure that they very, very clearly divorce themselves from, from that initial Suicide Squad movie in order to make this work. And again, I've not seen Peacemaker, so I'm not sure what they've been doing with the character. Um I think she just, as a character, Waller just works really best, you know, leading the Suicide Squad, you know, being the brains behind that operation, being this total, um, you know, uh, controlling individual, you know, with plans within plans, turning the Suicide Squad against other superheroes when necessary. You know, that that's when that character is at the best. So I almost feel like just focusing on that character in a live action series is going to be challenging without the trappings of, the Suicide Squad and all that. So I'm I'm interested, but it's not like the highest thing on my list to really dive into. 
Yeah, I like what they did with her in the Suicide Squad, the the gun led film. Yes. Um, I think she only pops up in like one cameo, the first half of the series, which is I'm what I made it through. Um, so I don't think she features heavily into that. Um, but I did like what Gunn did with her in his film. And you really, and you know, I really don't. I didn't like what they did, you know, in in Black Adam by implying she has somehow like the control over Superman to send right. him after Black Adam or something. That, so, that doesn't so, matter. None of that matters. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's there's been some missteps with the character. So I'm taking a wait and see approach here. All right. Now, buckle up, y'all. It's going to be a ride. He's going to be talking for the next thirty minutes. Superman ah. Legacy is a feature film written by James Gunn. Uh, flying into theaters, see what I did there, July 11th, 2025, Guns Words, the true beginning of the DCU. Uh, God, I hope that they get this right. That's all I can say, man. Gunn is a very, very good writer, but he, you know, and he gets the the earnest stuff and the heartfelt stuff right. Usually you see this very strongly in stuff like um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. You saw it very strongly with the Rat Catcher stuff in in the Suicide Squad. Like he he does heartfelt, um, uh, emotional truth quite well, even though he oftentimes packages it under like you know this real jokiness. Um, if he if he brings his earnest self to this when he's writing it, I think this this has potential to be really really good. Um, he's saying, you know, the right things. I'm not doing an origin story. Um, you know, the Superman is, is it's early in his career, but he's already established himself. Like, we do not need an hour of Superman trying to figure out who he is, okay? Let's just jump in and tell a good Superman story. To me, the greatest Superman origin is still, you know, like, those first two pages of All-Star Superman, you know? Doomed planet, scientists, kindly couple, Superman, boom. You know, done. Let's move on with life. Let's tell a Superman story. So if they do something like that, I'm here for it. Um, and, you know, setting something early on in Superman's career makes sense from a movie perspective. It takes, a, you know, two, three years to knock these movies out. And if you want a Superman who's going to be around for the long haul, uh, you're probably going to need somebody a little younger so they can, you know, grow with the role and be around for, I don't know, 10, 12 years or whatever. Um, so, so, so logically, this all makes sense. Um, as, as far as, you know, my hope for this movie is I just really would like them to lean into his supporting cast a little bit, uh, that we get a little more distinction between Clark Kent and Superman again. Um, you know, I just want to really, I want to see Clark's world a little bit, you know, the Daily Planet, interactions with Perry White, with Lois, with Jimmy Olsen, um, you know, maybe throw a Cat Grant in there, you know, get Lombard in there to bully Clark a little bit. Like, there's there's a, a wellspring of, like, really interesting um supporting cast that I don't think has been really tapped into very well in recent years. And I would like to see, I would like to see that. I'd like to see Clark's world. I'd like to see a clear distinction between Superman and Clark as far as their behavior. Um, and not just, you know, the glasses, like, you know, I'm, I'm a very big believer in like posture and acting and all that. So I just, I just, I'm, I'm just wanting Superman, man. That's just, I'm, I'm looking forward to this and I'm hoping it is what it has the potential to be. Listen, uh, let me tell you, uh, if you haven't seen Quantum Mania yet, Jonathan Majors is there's acting and then there's Jonathan Majors and what he's able to do. You're not with, kidding with with Kang, the character of Kang and the he who remains stuff. Just wait till you see Quantum Mania, because my God. Um, so sorry, just off a little tangent. That's what made me think of that. And um, but yeah, the only the only little 
anxiety inducing thing that I have about this, a little bit of nervousness that I have is while I overall enjoy James Gunn's work, um, the, the holiday special, the Guardians holiday special was such a pleasant surprise. I wasn't ready to like love it like I did. It was had so much heart. My only concern is this is Superman and that's a very, very, very different kind of MO than the Guardians of the Galaxy where you can get away with very much so jokey nature, the goofiness. Um, And so I hope that he stays true to the Superman aesthetic. Uh, I am deeply encouraged by the cover to All-Star Superman number one being behind him or flashed up on the screen while he's making this announcement. So obviously we're thinking he's going to draw heavily from that. That's my hope. Um, But I'm very, very excited to see this. um, And I'm excited about everything that he mentioned. I just hope that he can rein himself in. Yeah, yeah, he does. I mean... In fairness, I think it's it's I think it's fair to say that he has a little bit better control over his um, humor than uh, Taika Waititi did in the most recent Thor movie. Um, I, I think he let he, I have no idea. What you're I, I yeah, you do. Um, I think he let loose a little too much there. I think I think Gunn knows when to pull back, so I hope he pulls way back on that part at least. Not that you know Superman, you know, movie shouldn't have some humor. You can definitely have some humor in there. Um, but uh, it, it shouldn't, you know, devolve into a comedy, obviously. Um, but yeah, I have high hopes. All right. Next one I'm very, very excited for is going to be HBO Max series, which, you know, if there's anything in the debacle that's been the Zaslav and Discovery takeover, it's still the HBO appointment television, 9 p.m. every Sunday night. You've got to be there. I'm hoping this is more in the same. Lanterns. It's focused on Hal, Boo, and John Stewart. Yes, others are going to appear. Uh, really got me with this one. It's going to be True Detective with space cops. They're going to discover quote a terrifying mystery end quote that ties into the larger DCU. Um, so, uh, other than Hal sucking forevermore, what's your take on this, Dave? Hal sucks forevermore. <laughs> um, <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't mean this bad because I've read a whole bunch of Green Lantern comic books featuring Hal Jordan, and he, you know, when, when you have the right person writing him, he's fine, I guess. But there's just so much more flavor and 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 color in the characters that are not Hal Jordan when it comes to the the Earthbound Green Lanterns. You know, John Stewart's fantastic. Kyle Rayner's really interesting. Um, you have uh, Joe Mullen, who's my absolute favorite Green Lantern. I mean, she has just stolen my heart. Don't forget uh, my Jessica boo. Cruz, Don't forget obviously. my boo. So, yeah, Jessica Cruz, Simon Boz. There's all of these characters have more personality, I guess. My only hope is when they say it's like True Detective with Space Cops that maybe we get a second season of this and it switches focus away from Hal and John and maybe towards you know, a, a different kind of team up. Maybe we get a, a Cruise Boss or maybe we'll get Joe Mullen and we get sort of a, a adaptation of a Far Sector. Like, I think there's there's potential there for like rotating cast because, you know, Green Lantern is, yeah, Green Lantern is such a uh, a wide open concept and you can bounce to all these different planets and all these different situations. And, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of interesting green lantern characters. So making it a little anthology style where every season focuses on different, uh, different pair of lanterns would be really, really cool. Um, I, I think this is probably the point where the larger threat is going to start. That is going to lead into some kind of justice league style movie. Um, 
I'm really hoping that what they discover is that there's shapeshifters on Earth and we get an adaptation of that first storyline from Morrison's JLA. Um, that that would uh, that would psych me out. I would love that because uh, you know I don't need I don't need another attempt at fourth world and dark side. I want you know something a little different. And seeing a, a JLA style movie, a Justice League that's focused on like white Martians that have you know infiltrated Earth or something would be really really fun. I'd, I'd like that. You can, I mean, like, I, I love the idea of what you said. You completely sent me off into a tangent. I was spacing out, pun fully intended. Uh, so I would love, obviously, to just have the Green Lanterns, uh, Jessica and Simon, you know, as a buddy cop that, like, they can't stand each other. And then they bond over pancakes at the diner. Um, and then they're best friends and inseparable. But here's one. I want uh, Guy Gardner and Kyle uh, Rayner, uh, like the insufferable asshole who backs it up. And like the free spirit artist guy, <laughs> like I, I love their dynamic together. They have a great dynamic. I remember right after um, Infinite Crisis, I think they were shift. No, that's not right. Maybe right after Green Lantern Rebirth. I think it was right after Green Lantern Rebirth when they brought Hal Jordan back. They were shuffling things around a little bit to figure out what to do with all the Green Lanterns. And they uh, relaunched uh, Green Lantern Core. Um, and there's a this it's it's so cool so basically they they shifted kyle and guy into like the the core and they were off in deep space while hal was a little more earthbound there at the beginning and what they did is is they they went to like the justice league to say bye because they're going to go off in deep space for a while and uh guy gardner is like outside of the watchtower you know out in space and it's like mooning batman through the window <laughs> god i love uh, him and, and, i love him and and, and bat and then Batman says to Kyle, "Tell Guy he needs a shave." <laughs> just, <laughs> I was He's like, the "That's best. that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff we need on 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 the big screen right there." Oh God, I'm so excited! Uh, yeah, so if there's anything that that DC Comics loves, it's a label, man. And so Wildstorm label characters being brought to the DCU, we have the Authority, Dave, in a film. Yeah. <laughs> this might this so this might sound uh this might sound awful coming for me but i've never read the authority um from my understanding you know this is what warren ellis wrote this and uh it's really um it's even like a spin-off i think of like a different book so it's not like completely standalone so they're gonna have to do some heavy lifting there i think um but uh my understanding is like that that edgy storytelling that ended up like bleeding over into stuff like um the ultimates over in the ultimate universe at Marvel and stuff uh, really started with the authority. And I never really had an affinity for that kind of uh, superhero storytelling. Um, and so I've, I've not read the authority. It might be really good and I'm you know being unfair, but uh, you know, this was not something that particularly grabbed me as far as a, um, a movie that I really, really want to see. I would be much more interested in you know, getting Martian Manhunter on the big screen in a solo project or something like that than seeing this. But that's that's a me thing, you know? I'm interested um, because it is, you know, the co- the comparisons are undeniable with with the um, the Snyder adaptation of, of the DC films um, and then, you know, having the authority. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that is juxtaposed against this new DCU um, and kind of how that kind of plays off some of the other stories that they're telling. Yeah. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll have to see. I know that there was a really cool Morrison book, Superman and the authority that kind of, uh, you know, flipped things around a little bit that uh, was really kind of cool. 
Um, but like as far as the original authority stuff, I've just not read it, and I don't think I'm really qualified to say much about it, other than I don't like some of the trends that the series started. All right, this one I'm geeked about. Uh, live action series, Paradise Lost. It's set on Paradise Island, the mascara. This is a prequel, prequel, prequel series, way before the birth of Diana, if I understand correctly. And he got me hooked because he said Game of Thrones and Westworld vibes. So this is interesting. I think they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They obviously want to uh, continue to, you know, uh, link into the that corner of DC with, you know, Themyscira and Amazons and everything. But they don't seem to be quite prepared to make another Wonder Woman movie or haven't even, I think, decided whether they want to continue with the same you know, current actress, or if they're going to recast, or what they're going to do with Wonder Woman as a property. And so this is just a way of, I guess, keeping... Um, keeping the fire burning a little bit and keeping, you know, the idea of the Amazons in people's minds while they figure out what they're going to do with kind of the Wonder Woman character. Yeah. yeah, moving forward. I'm interested in this. Um, I think it's would, would will add a very interesting, um, different kind of uh, flavor uh, to, to the DCU by giving this sort of a Game of Thrones style, you know, fantasy setting kind of situation. I really like that. I think it's a very smart idea. Um, but I'm also a little concerned because they clearly have not decided what they're doing with Wonder Woman yet. And I, I don't think that bodes well. They're building towards something, obviously, in this phase, you know, with the big secret in, in you know, the Green Lantern series and everything. So I'm thinking uh, they need to figure out sooner rather than later what their Justice League or whatever is going to look like when they finally get to that team-up movie. And they need to do it probably sooner rather than later. I will say, and I neglected to mention this in our opening, this is just part of chapter one of the DCU, which has been dubbed Gods and Monsters. So there is um, reportedly going to be more in chapter one of this DCU. So I, I, I'm right there with you. I, they're, they're punting back. They're playing it safe until they can kind of see how things develop. Uh, are they going to keep Gal Gadot? Uh, are they going to go in a different direction? Um my gut just tells me no, based on the reaction of of the Jenkins third movie being canceled. They were both pretty upset about that. Um, so I, I think they're probably going to go in a different direction. It's hard telling right now. I think yeah. uh, patience is going to be the name of the game there. Yeah. All right. This might be the one I'm excited about the most, Dave. Uh, the introduction of the DCU's version of Batman will not be Robert Pattinson, not the Reeves verse. Um, comes in a film called The Brave and the Bold. It's going to be Bruce and Damien freaking Wayne. It's going to be based on the Grant Morrison run, and it is the beginning of the Bat family in the DCU. And my beloved Dick Grayson is right around the corner, and you can't tell me otherwise. I think this is probably the smartest thing uh, by far that they're doing so far. Because every time we get a Batman movie, it's grim, dark, solo Batman. And taking that and bouncing that character off of the expanded Bat family is going to be a completely new and unique thing for the big screen. Um, and it's not just, hey, we're going to have a Robin, because he, as you said, he very clearly says it's the beginning of the Bat family, right? So we can at the very least anticipate that we're going to have Batman, we're going to have Damien as as the the new Robin. We should at the very least have one Robin before him, which would be Dick Grayson Nightwing. Um, I can very clearly see that they'll probably do some kind of Batgirl thing here. I really hope that they, uh, you know, ah, don't forget who they cast in that role. Um, but maybe that's just me. Um, 
but uh, I, I think we're, you know, having this extended bat family is just uh, a very, very cool feature in the comic books now for a long, long time. Um, and, and they really need to lean into that on a big screen. Um, I also said this uh, on social media a couple of weeks ago. I really hope that they do something different with the bat suit ones and not have it look like, you know, some kind of armor plating situation and go a little bit more old school, low tech. I would even like for them to do like the dark blue gray combo rather than the full black. I think there's something really cool about that. Um, so uh, I hope I hope that they really just like lean into distinguishing this Batman and this Batman's world from what we have gotten before. Like just really lean into those differences. Um, but just, hey, anytime that you're basing anything on something that Morrison uh, wrote, you are doing the right thing. So good on you guys. It did crack me up that people were showing um, the one one like some news outlets and, and and online blogs were showing the picture of of Batman and Robin by Morrison, but it was uh, Dick Grayson in the bat. Dick Grayson, so, man. Yeah. yeah. So I was just like, hang on, guys. Uh, number one, great series. Absolutely read it. But that's Dick Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. I know you've got to be geeked about this one. Live action series, Booster Gold. I am very, very geeked about this, and I hope they do it right, because uh, Booster is, you know, uh, not quite Guy Gardner level, but he's very self-involved and, you know, um, uh, a selfish character that has to do a lot of character growth, and that's all interesting and stuff. Um, But, you know, a lot of his initial series was him hanging out in Metropolis and bouncing off of Superman. And I think, you know, it really started singing again in the wake of uh, the series 52, which came after Infinite Crisis. And what you got there was basically something akin to Quantum Leap, but in the DC universe, uh, you have all these like time anomalies popping up and he has to basically go and travel through time and and fix the timeline. Um, And I think that if they do that with Booster Gold in a live action series, that would be super cool because it would allow them to bounce around the past of this newly established DC universe um, and kind of say, you know, we have a Batman who's old enough to have, you know, a son already, but we're going to go ahead and show you, here's an episode where he meets, you know, younger Batman. And this is what Batman was like when he was first starting out. Or, you know, here's the side character that we wouldn't have any other chance to show. um, But here we go, you know. Um, so I think that would be a really, really smart move to kind of dive into the history of some of the, you know, lesser known characters or settings, things that you can't necessarily um, want to pull off on the big screen, maybe. And you can shove that into into Booster Gold and kind of just play around with that stuff. Um, I think that would be super, super cool. I'm, I'm hoping if they take the time travel approach with this, uh, it'll be, you know, what I hope for, because I think it has a whole lot of potential to be really awesome. Yeah, um, I I don't know a whole lot, basically next to nothing about the character other than what you've said on the show. So I'm 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 intrigued to say the least. I I think uh, the best thing you could do for yourself is to read that series that premiered right after the after fifty two. Um, it is I can even send you a link, man. It is really really good, and uh, you get a lot of like, you know, here's here's uh, he meets a young Superman, and what in the world? How is he going to pull this off in, without changing the timeline? You know, there's just there's a lot of really cool stuff happening there. All right, this is proof positive that James Gunn listens to the nerd byword because the previously nerd commended. Tom King series is being made into a feature film, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow. I know that I had to put a smile on your face, Dave. Top three Supergirl stories I've ever read. 
I, th I think this is so, so, so smart. Also, if they keep the basic hook and they're really adapting this, that means we're also getting uh, Crypto the Superdog because Crypto features in the beginning, uh, beginning of the story really prominently. So, uh, heck yeah. A uh, woman of tomorrow, I think, uh, is is so underappreciated, and not enough people read it when it came out, and it is so so good. Um, something about the ending kind of irks me, but other than that, I think it's really a two to force for the Supergirl character, um, and does such a good job kind of establishing what makes Supergirl different from Superman. You know, the fact that she actually lived on Krypton, she has experienced Krypton, she really is a stranger in a strange land on earth whereas superman was raised here and for him earth is home um and that distinction is a big deal there's a really cool scene at the beginning she basically goes um off world because she just turned 21 and she wants to get drunk but she can't get drunk under a, a yellow sun so she finds some planet with a red sun where she has no powers and goes to a bar and just gets sloshed um and it's just a cool little scene because it just shows like this is something that Superman wouldn't do. But but she's not Superman, you know. It's just because they're related and they have the same power set doesn't mean they're the same character. And I think this series does a really really good job establishing that um, she's not just Superman light, you know. So I think this is a really really smart adaptation. I'm I'm psyched for this one. And I'm glad to, to I'm glad to hear you provide that sort of context. But I th because I think as a casual consumer and for some of the other people, they just see the S on the chest and they hear the super at the beginning of the name and they make that association. And so I think that's an important point to make. And I think the TV show, uh, to some extent, leaned into that, too. You know, the really earnest Supergirl who's very much Superman light. Um, I, I think anytime they lean into the fact that these are different people uh, is always very, very smart. All right, last but not least, um, a character that I have a little bit of relationship with based on the Injustice games and how fun he is to play off of the other characters and how he's like the protector of the swamp and the earth, um, had a very popular show that was well-reviewed but was canceled and had a lot of folks upset, Swamp Thing as a feature film, Dave. I'm, I am here for this. Um, I hope that they lean into the the the, the body horror elements a little bit. Uh, and the scary side of it a little bit, because, you know, again, uh, we've talked about this before with the MCU as well. Tonal differences are really, really important. You know, being able to hit stories in different genres uh, is is really, really important. Um, I think Safran even said that this this is, uh, will investigate the dark origins of the character. So um, smartest thing they can probably do is to draw some inspiration from Alan Moore's run on the character. Um, that was some really heady, interesting stuff. Um, I think that would be really interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I'm here for this. Uh, anytime that they lean a little bit into the horror side and kind of merge superheroes and horror, they're taking two things that I absolutely adore and smashing them together. I'm here for it. So um, yeah, let's do this. All right. That was everything that James Gunn announced in that six minute YouTube clip. Um, what are your reactions to them? Be sure to hit us up on social media at Nerd by Word on Twitter and Instagram. But now I'm going to pass the hot potato right back to Dave and he can wrap up this episode as the MC. All right, folks, and we are back for our final segment. It is time for... So, Chris, what are you nerd commending this week? 
Dude, this has been my entire existence for the last month. It's one of my favorite video games that I've ever played. It is XCOM 2, and I bought it in a combo pack um, that includes the expansion pack War of the Chosen, which I highly recommend, especially it's been out for several years. It just completely was off of my radar. It's released in 2016, and then War of the Chosen released in 2017. It came on my radar um, because of how much I love Midnight Suns. And so it was developed by um, Fire Axis and 2K Games, um, the same people who made Midnight Suns. And then like it showed up in like my Microsoft store as a suggestion. Um, and I got like the entire game as for like $9.99. So like you can't beat it. Um, it's a turn-based um, tactical video game. Um, it's it's a sequel to the first XCOM, which I have not played, but I'm going to see if they even have it available on the Series S. Um, but Alien Invasion, 20 years later, you have this resistance cell called XCOM, and they're fighting back against it. And it's uh, it's everything I want in a turn paced uh, turn based video game. Um, it's just really really fun. Um, you get to upgrade a lot of uh, characters. You get to promote characters. Um, you get to um, upgrade their weaponry. You do research. It's very sci-fi. It leans into the sci-fi. Um, and then War of the Chosen, um, the expansion pack, it adds so much, uh, so many different layers to the game. It, it, it includes two, uh, three new types of characters. Um and, um, and and the coolest thing about it is, uh, I tell you, they they lean into the sci-fi nature of it. Tell me if you recognize these voice actor names: um, Denise Crosby, John Delancey, Jonathan Frakes, Michael Dorn, Dwight Schultz, uh, Marina Sirtis. Those sound familiar to you, Dave? No, I've never watched Star <laughs> Trek: The Next Generation. But so they <laughs> voice like all the new characters in the ins- expansion pack. And it was just like I heard it. And then I quick checked uh, uh, IMDb and sure enough, it was them. Uh, so and then uh, you'll love this in the expansion pack. You also have um, in addition to multiple new adversaries, you also have um, I believe it's called the Lost, which are basically zombies. And so you have to fight off swords of zombies in the expansion pack and those levels. I mean, like, I could go on and on and on for this game. My only um, trepidation is that I've now finished both the main campaign and the expansion pack. And now, like, I have to start over. But it's so much fun. And what I enjoy about it, too, is it it embraces, like, all gamers of all levels. And so, like, you know, some of these games are, like, overly difficult and you can't get past them. Looking at you, Elden Ring. Um And so like they have several different layers of difficulty and it's just really fun to jump in. And I hope I can find the first XCOM available to play. I love turn-based games. We've talked about this before, but the strategy, the turn-based strategy games, that like tactical thing, uh, that's always evaded me. I do do really well with stuff like uh, Civilization, for example. Okay, Uh, I was going to say that. This is like Civilization as a war game. You're going to love it. 
I don't know, man. See, that's the thing. I've always struggled with like the war part of it, you know. Um, I'm I'm just such a, a, a history nerd and a like government nerd and an economics nerd. Like just playing around with a civilization and trying to trying to figure out how to run that civilization effectively. That's interesting to me. But the war part has always been the least interesting. You know, I heard a lot of uh, people, you know, trying to push me to uh, like the advanced wars games, and I never quite latched onto that. Um, I tried Final Fantasy Tactics, and I, that never quite clicked with me either, although I liked the regular Final Fantasy games fine. So um, I'm, I might have to dive into this and just give it a shot and see if it clicks with me. I've still not found the right, you know, tactics game to really, you know, grab me by the throat and say, you know, this is something for you, man. So um, maybe this one will be it. I'll definitely give it a shot. All right. We teased it before, but the nostalgia bug has not only bitten you, it has embedded underneath your epidermis and you are now infected, my friend. When I was a kid, I was watching a, a, a sitcom um, in, you know, syndication, obviously in Germany, so in translation as well. Um, but I always got a kick out of it. I didn't like, you know, watch it religiously or something. But, you know, when it popped up on TV, I definitely checked it out. And I've watched my fair share of episodes um, although it's been a few years since I dove in, and that shows uh, Night Court. Uh, the sitcom ran from uh, 1984 to 1992 on NBC, and it was basically uh, pretty much exactly what it sounds like. You know, uh, there's a night shift in the Manhattan Criminal Court, and there's this young, weird, you know, judge, uh, Harry Stone, who's like, you know, tries to keep it light and is always joking with people and you know, uses magic tricks and sleight of hand to get people's attention. And he does lighthearted pranks on his co-workers and stuff. And it's just a very, very weird person to be a judge. Um, and uh, just derive humor from from this, you know, very weird night shift in the criminal court. Um, what was really cool about the show, and there's a couple different things. One is that much of the humor always derived from the characters, um, less than the situations, I guess. It's, so it's a sitcom, sure, in, in a, a format, but the show really, you know, put a lot of effort into uh, drawing really interesting, unique characters and then getting humor out of bouncing those characters off of each other. And I always found hu um, humor that's based in within character more interesting than humor that's based within situation. So it, it that worked for me on that level. On another level, it's really, really bizarre. Um, the humor is really out there sometimes and, and, and gets really weird and really strange. And that definitely is me all over my my nerdy hard nerds out for really strange humor um uh, probably one of the reasons that i gravitated towards stuff like farscape later on because of its wacky sense of humor why guardians of the galaxy hit the way it did with me um is in large part because you know as a kid i really liked some of the the stuff that i saw in night court and how really you know out there and weird it was and so lo and behold uh there's a new one um, and, and that's not a remake. It's actually a sequel. Um, and, and so it's aired six episodes so far. I've uh, sat down and watched uh, the first five. And I have to say, um, it's old school, um, which makes sense because it's trying to capture, you know, sort of the feel of a sitcom that aired in the, in the 80s. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of got the same kind of heart and, and the same kind of humor that comes out of character. Um, got a original... Um, an original uh, actor from the from the first run coming back and reprising the role. 
Um, and basically here we have the daughter of the uh, original judge uh, who comes in and, and wants to kind of carry on her father's legacy and becomes a judge in the same courtroom and gets one of uh, her dad's former co-workers played uh, Dan Fielding, played by John Larroquette, uh, to come in and, and try to kind of get her established by helping her out as the uh, public defender. Um and it, so far, I have to say, I mean, the show has room to grow and to figure out things. And I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest sitcom fan. And maybe nostalgia is talking a little bit here. Um, but so far, I kind of like it. I really like uh, a lot of the stuff that they're doing, a lot of the choices they've made so far. Uh, they got Melissa Rauch as Abby Stone. Most people know her from the Big Bang Theory. But here she gets to drop the glasses and the very, very high-pitched voice of the Bernadette character and gets to kind of play something a little more from the heart, a little more uh, earnest. Um, and it works really, really well. She's fantastic in the role. I think I like her here significantly better than on Big Bang Theory. It's always fun to see uh, John Larroquette in any kind of role again. The guy has just fantastic comedic timing, very, very old school kind of comedic timing. Um, and they're starting to slowly lean into some of the bizarre stuff and the humor that the uh, that the original had. And so I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying this. So uh, if you've... N- ever watched the original Night Court show or uh, you're looking for kind of sort of an old school sitcom in a very unique setting, I would definitely give uh, the 2023 Night Court a shot. Um, it's it's quite good so far. So much to unpack here. I have not seen the original. I've heard it referenced like so many different times, uh, but I've never watched it. I do remember John Larroquette from Richie Rich and the great villain that he played in that film. Uh, one of the movies that I watched over and over again as a kid. Um, you know, Night Court, the original run, uh, never had a series finale. Um, and I don't know if you were a fan of 30 Rock, but I was. And they actually did an episode where they brought in uh, some of the original actors and tried to basically give it like a little send off within 30 Rock. Um as a way of like wrapping it up and, and kind of giving some closure to fans, which I thought was a really unique thing to do and, and very, very cool, even within the world of 30 rocks. So um, yeah. Anyways, I wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. And Melissa Roush, uh, I have complicated feelings about big bang theory. What about you? I do too. I, I do too. Um, it's, it's a weird one. Um, there are things about it that I've enjoyed and things about it. I absolutely hate. Uh, and uh, as, as a, a real life nerd, obviously the portrayal of nerddom in that show can can really grate and rub you the wrong way. Um, I, I, I like I said, I think she is significantly better and more enjoyable in this role uh, than she was on Big Bang Theory. So um, I think she really f- works fantastically in in this role. I really just immediately gravitated towards the character. All right, I might have to check this one out. Yeah, and as far as sitcoms go, you know, I'm not the biggest sitcom guy. I've not, I don't think I've watched a sitcom in years at this point. Um, but just seeing that there was a new Night Court, I had to dip in, and it there's there's really something here. I, I think if they are given the chance to to grow and improve, then this could be something special. All right, folks, there you have it. That's a new episode of the Nerd Fire. Wait a minute! Podcast. Wait a minute! We have a bonus no, feature. We're not going to do this, are we? Really? Must we? I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can listen to to one of your rants right now. <laughs> All right. So um, after much bullying and cajoling from yours truly and several other people, uh, Chris has finally decided to sit down and watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, lots of complicated feelings there, obviously, considering that you shall not be named was the creator and showrunner of this one. 
Uh, but I have uh, continuously attested to how influential the show was on my life and how much it means to me. And Chris has decided to sit down and actually watch it. He's watched the first season, which I believe was a truncated season of 13 episodes to kind of had like a, a mid-season kind of thing going on there. So it wasn't a full 22-episode season. Um, and here with his recap and feelings on Buffy the Vampire Slayer season one is, is Chris. So go for it. All right. So first observation: <laughs> Why does why does every vampire look like a malnourished Klingon? Um, <laughs> um, aside from that, it started off really slow, really slow. But from the jump, the biggest observation that I have is Sarah Michelle Gellar deserves all the flowers that she's been given all over the years. She has immediate charisma and is a scene stealer from the opening credits like she's amazing and the reason that i stuck through this bumpy ride that was the first season a lot of low budget funny stuff uh the third episode made me laugh with the voodoo barbie dolls um um, xander is the effing worst i can't stand him i hate him uh, he, we want to talk about self-insert characters. People want to take pot shots at female creators for having self-insert characters. If there have ever been a self-insert character, at least as of right now, Joss Whedon self-insert as Xander, as the guy who got shut down and denied from the girls he liked, and then he turns into this weird incel energy. Uh, but more on that to come, because you tell me, several other people tell me, I'm going to love him, but right now, can't stand him. Um... But yeah, I was very ho-hum on this. It felt very formulaic, episodic, um, until, spoiler alert, Buffy died in, in episode 12, uh, 12 episodes of the first season. And then she came back and said, I may be dead, but I'm pretty. And that's more I can say for you. And honestly, a line like that, how can you not love this show? And she's come back. Uh, I've started season two, and she's got this weird aura around her something happened when she died when she was bitten i don't know yet more to come but a very bumpy first season but i'm i'm here for the ride i'm i'm glad to hear you say that xander does de- uh, develop as a character um and and i think you'll see him in a different light the high school years are sort of highlights for a lot of people when it comes to buffy but i think xander's character really starts thriving uh, and becomes interesting once they graduate. Um, he becomes better already later in the high school years, but once they graduate from high schools and, you know, kind of how Xander tries to navigate post-graduation world, he becomes an increasingly interesting character, I think. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar is the best. Um, crushed on her real hard when I saw this for the first time. Um, not going to lie. Uh, but the, the show, you know, you're right. The first season objectively is bumpy again and i said this about night court in my nerd commendation um there was a time when tv shows had a chance to figure out their way you know and they had to to run through some episodes and try things and figure out what worked and what didn't you know most shows that we consider today uh, epic and classic did not you know start out that way they had to find their footing regrettably in the streaming age most series never get enough time to really figure themselves out which i think is a shame i think you will find season two and season three to be much more uh, a much more enjoyable take on on high school uh, era buffy than the first season was they really find their way in those two seasons i neglected to mention that allison hannigan is perfect in every way uh she is adorkable as it gets and i love her forevermore 
And she also has fantastic character development. Uh, the Willow that you see now is not the Willow that you will get in a couple of years and uh, a couple of seasons. So I think you will uh, you will be very, very interested to see her progression as well. That's one thing I really liked about the show is that there was definite growth. Even even back then already, they, they grew their characters. I thought that was interesting. And Charisma Carpenter can bully me anytime. I just bet. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, folks, there you have it. That was a new episode of the Nerd Byword podcast. If you like what you just heard, then please, please get on your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a rating, a review, and of course, subscribe so you never miss an episode. We are available on all podcasting platforms, including our very own website, nerdbyword.com. And please uh, feel free to engage with us on Twitter and Instagram at that nerd Dave, at that nerd Chris. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.